Well, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Good to have you guys with us. Any dads out there? Any husbands struggling through the women being away this weekend? My hand's up. <laughs> Brian, he's got a four-year-old. I'm not jealous of him, but uh, I know in my house, fruits and vegetables do not come easy when Kathy is gone. So we did pizza Friday night. We did Chipotle yesterday. Um, and when I woke up this morning, my stomach reminded me uh, of those two decisions that I made on behalf of our our family. But we're getting through. We're getting through. Kathy's coming home. Uh, really excited that the women were able to get away. Excited just to kind of see what kind of energy and, and passion they bring back with them uh, after a great weekend away. But um, today we're wrapping up a series that we started a few weeks ago called What You Really Want. And if you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first three weeks. But basically, uh, we've been talking about this tension that we experience between what we think we want and what we really want. Right? Because that, that gap exists between what we think we want in the moment, what we, what we chase down, because so many things get in the way. Our emotions get in the way. Our weaknesses get in the way. Sin gets in the way. Our ability to manipulate our way gets in the way of discovering the difference between what we think we want and what we really want. In fact, sometimes we get everything that we think we want, and it actually keeps us from experiencing what we really want. Want. And so we have to be intentional. We've talked about how we have to evaluate and, and really discern what it is in the midst of this question, what do you want? We have to discern what is it that you really value? And what is it that God values? What is it that God really wants? Because what we've discovered and, and, and thrown out at you is that in pursuit of what we really want, we're going to actually come face to face with what God actually wants because we're per pursuing things of real value. And, and I have a strong belief that if you're chasing the things that really matter, things of true value, the things that God wants, that process is going to bring you in close contact with him, and that's when the real change begins. And so today, as we, we wrap things up, I want to talk about the way the world usually works and what happens when we get wrapped up with the way the world usually works, and, and the issue with pursuing that way of life. I want to give you an example we can all relate to, and this is just one way to kind of get us into this idea, and it's this idea of vacation, right? I've said this. Tell me if you've ever said this. Have you ever said, my goodness, I need a vacation from my vacation? Never come back from vacation, you're like, oh my God, I'm more tired than when I left. Or have you ever said, and this happens to us, I'm sure it's happened to some of you guys with kids, where, where you go away and you come back, you're like, Actually, the kids were with us, so it was more of a trip, not so much of a vacation, right? And, the, and you guys understand that distinction because when the kids are with you, especially when they're younger, it's like, oh my goodness, it was a whirlwind the whole time and Disney was not restful, right? You, you guys have lived that. But here's the typical pattern when it comes to these vacation things. You work a ton, and for you, maybe that's your career, maybe that's school, maybe that's sports, maybe that's concerts and events, but it's go, 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 it's crazy, it's hectic, this, this go, go, go schedule, and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I need some time off. And maybe you have to force it, you have to jam a vacation into your schedule somehow, but you make it happen, you find the time off, and you think it's just going to be good to get away. And that's true, right? It's good to get away. And the first half of vacation is great. First half is great. If you're like me, when you get to that 51% mark where there's more behind you than in front of you, I do this with hunting trips. That opening weekend, I had eight hunts in front of me, and after the first one, I didn't see anything. I was like, that's okay, I still got seven. I got, the, I got a couple hunts. That's okay, I still got, there's more hunts in front of me than, and then I get down to the last couple, two, three, still hadn't seen any deer. It was horrible. But, but I'm like, I, you spend the whole second half of the vacation dreading the fact that the end is coming and you have to go home. Just when you start to relax, you realize the end is coming. 
right back to the grind. You hate going back. You hate, you, but you have to go back, right? And you're often more frustrated when you get back than when you left, more tired when you get back than when you left. And you discover that vacation not only doesn't do what you wanted it to do, it prevents you from experiencing what you wanted to experience. But here's the thing. The way we live our lives, the way we work, if you're dissatisfied with your job, if you're dissatisfied with your schedule, if you hate the grind, if you're dissatisfied at all with the direction of your life, what we discover is that vacation simply cannot provide the answers that we're looking for. It just gives you a momentary distraction from the real issues. So with this specific example, what do we think we want? We think we want a vacation. We think we want a break from the chaos. But what do we really want? What we really want is a different pace a different purpose. We want a marriage that doesn't make coming home more stressful than being at work. We want a family situation that makes coming home from school less of a wild card. We want peace. We want rest. We want fulfillment. We want joy. We want our lives to be an expression of the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week. What we think we want is a break every eight to ten months. What we really want is so much bigger than that. And this plays out in other ways, right? When, when the raise happens, when the promotion happens, like, okay, I got some energy. I'm feeling good about this. A new purchase. You connect with a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. You finish a home renovation. You move from third chair trumpet to second chair trumpet. You're feeling great. You know you're never getting first chair because there's always that one kid, right? They're just obsessed with it. You're, you're not going to catch that one kid, but second chair feels great. You go from JV to varsity, and you have this quick feeling of upward momentum, and then inevitably it does wear off. And what do we discover beyond vacations, beyond raises and promotions? What we discover is that the kingdom of this world cannot give you what you really want. Now, what do I mean when I say the kingdom of this world? Because that's going to be a a, a big thing that we're going to talk about this morning. I'm not talking about the Illuminati, right? I'm not talking about Jay-Z and his gang who, who are uh, supposedly in charge of all the famous people. I'm not talking about white, old white men controlling world events for the last 300 years. By the way, if your news channel is in the thousands, maybe not the best idea, okay? So I, I just want to throw that out there. I'm not talking about these weird things about George Soros and, and Bill Gates. That's not the kingdom of this world. When I say the kingdom of, of this world, I'm talking about the way the world lives, the way the world, the things the world values, the thing the world prioritizes, the fruit of this world in direct opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. So not only can that kingdom not give you what you want, but the kingdom of this world is designed to distract you from what you really want. And in fact, in the process of pursuing the kingdom of this world, it robs you of what it is that you really want because the kingdom of this world is fueled by experiences and upgrades. But what you really want, the thing that you've discovered doing values exercises and trying to process what is it that God wants, what does God value, when you discover what you really want, you realize it can't be packaged, it can't be marketed, it can't be sold. Now, there's nothing wrong with upgrades and experiences, right? If you've been around Fieldstone long enough, I'm never the guy who's going to poo-poo that stuff. Sometimes you got to make some upgrades, you got to have some experiences, but you can't let those things distract you from what really matters, what you really Value. You can't let those things distract you from what you really want. But they do distract us. 
they do get in the way. And school doesn't help, right? School is all about do, do, do. What do you want to do with your life? Are you going to do the homework? Are you going to get ready for this test so you can accomplish that and move to the next thing? Work doesn't help. Work focuses on uh, producing and providing. And all along the way, no one is asking you what you really want. And so if that's the kingdom of this world, then we need to pursue something a little bit different. We have to pursue something of a different mindset with different values. We have to pursue a different kingdom. We've gone to the wisdom of Paul quite a few times in this series. We're going to do it one more time today. In Romans chapter 12, he talks about this. He doesn't mention a kingdom, but it's exactly what he's talking about in Romans 12.1. And we'll have to start with just one word. He starts with therefore, right? And you guys know enough, you know enough about literature, enough about even Bible things, where if you start somewhere with the word therefore, it means you missed something. Something came long before that you have to process. And so I uh, just want to do a quick flyby of the book of Romans. Um, and and if, you, if you're looking for more, we did a couple years ago, I think October of 2019, we did a series in Romans chapter 8. I think we spent five or six weeks in that, and we did a kind of a longer overview of Romans to open that. So go back and check that out if you want. But just real quick today, so because we have to figure out what, what's the therefore. What, what's, he, what's he talking about? What's he referring back to? So Romans, this letter that Paul wrote to the, to the believers in Rome, starts with three chapters in a section that we'll call sin, where Paul basically paints a picture of what humans are really like, what we are at our core and in practice. I don't want to step on Brian's expensive stuff there. But basically, humans, we are messed up. We are broken. Our way is not God's way. We sin, and because of our sin, we stand in need of major, major help. And Paul actually provides a few examples in those first couple chapters. He says, look around. You don't have to take my word for it. Just look at humans. Look at the people. Look at the world nearby and far away. We are messed up. That's that first section of Romans, those first three chapters. And then he pivots to part two, which we'll call salvation. That's chapters four through eight, where he addresses what humans really need and what God has done to provide a solution. So he said, yeah, we're messed up, we're broken, first three chapters. It's bad out there, but look at what God has done in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our weakness. He provided a fix because we couldn't fix it ourselves, right? He said, look at these people. I gave them just a set of rules. I gave them 10 commandments just to follow, and they can't even do those. And so they can't fix it. I'm going to have to fix it. And so he sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty for us, to give us salvation from the sin and the brokenness that we experience on a daily basis. So that's part two. Then he goes to part three, and he says, listen, God's saying, hey, it's all on me. God says, I can do what I want, when I want, the way I want. I can include whoever I want. And God actually says, listen, you, human being, you are a lump of clay that I can mold and fashion however I want. And I can use you for my purposes and my will. And all throughout history, we see examples of that. And there's some difficult questions brought up in Romans chapter 9, where it's like, how could you treat that person like that and that person like that? And God says, well, because I'm God, that's why. And so in the midst of this, Paul reminds us, like, you, remember, you're broken. The fix is because of you, and it's all on God. But in the midst of it, God says, yeah, it's my will. Yeah, it's my plan. But you, lump of clay, I want you to be a part of it. Because there's other people that need to experience me the way you have. There's other people that need to hear the truth, and I want you to tell them. I want you to show them. And so it's, 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 a, it's frustrating. It's difficult. It's tough to accept that God is in control and he has a plan beyond our understanding. And yet in the midst of that plan that's beyond us, he says, you get to help. 
you get to be a part of it. And then it pivots one more time to section four. We'll call that our response, how we serve this God, right? Chapters 12 through 16, where it says, what does a life transformed by Jesus actually look like? What does the life of someone who's been invited to be a part of the process, what does that life look like? And so Romans 12 becomes a bit of a hinge point in the entire letter. And he says, therefore... Based on those first 11 chapters, based on what I've thrown at you, based on the reality of sin and the beauty of salvation and the call that we have to live that out in some way in the midst of this sovereign God, since we believe this all true, he continues on and says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, it's a big deal. I, I, I need you to hear this. And he says, in view of God's mercy, right? That's what he's laid out in those first 11 chapters, a picture of this God where it says it's his kindness that actually leads us to repentance. In view of all that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this sacrifice, this personal surrender of your will is your true and proper worship. With God's mercy in mind, with his kindness in mind, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, this can be a difficult picture for us, but remember the people he's writing to are in the ancient world who were very familiar with animal sacrifice, depending on where they had gone in their travels, maybe familiar with human sacrifice. And so it feels kind of extreme, but he's trying to paint a picture of what he's calling them to do. He says, I want you to die to your wants. I want you to sacrifice your will, the things that you would naturally choose, the things that you would naturally desire, the things that you think you want, that you bully your way towards, that you buy your way towards, that you manipulate your way towards, that you use your amazing flowery personality to obtain the things you think you want in the moment. Sacrifice those things. Be willing to lay those things down in exchange for something different. And it sounds like a lot to ask. It sounds like strong imagery, but that's exactly what he's trying to communicate. And then he says, not just a sacrifice, he says, this is your true and proper worship. Strange word. But the, the intent of that phrase is Paul saying, this, this sacrifice, this laying down of your will and your wants, this is the logical thing to do. This is where I love Paul because he's an academic. He's a black and white guy. He's an ABC, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Like he, he likes it to make sense. He likes it to lay it out that way. And that's exactly what he does here where he says, if we serve a God of love, right, in view of God's mercy, if we serve a God of grace, if we serve a God who is all powerful and yet extends some of that to us and includes us in that, and if, if this God created us, and sent Jesus to die for us, and pursues us, and wants us, if that is all true, and we believe that is all true, then the only logical response then is to surrender. All of a sudden, choosing to follow Jesus isn't unreasonable. All of a sudden, the unreasonable option is not following Jesus. In view of God's mercy, based on what we know, based on what Paul lays out in those first 11 chapters, based on what we believe is true, the true and proper and logical response to that is to lay ourselves down, surrender our will, and pursue the will of God in our lives. He continues on into verse 2. 
How do we worship? How do we lay ourselves down? Verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in the midst of this, Paul's saying, look around. You can see the themes of the kingdom of this world. You can see the patterns. You can see the typical direction, the typical way of doing things, the, the typical mindset, the way of living, the, the way of making decisions, the priorities, the things that are celebrated. And he says, don't be pressed into that mold. Don't get caught chasing the same things. Don't get stuck in that mindset and that, that way of living, those priorities, those celebrations, because you can see those patterns and you can see where those patterns lead. You can see the fruit that is born out of that way of living and that way of doing things. Instead, instead of being pressed into that mold, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to come back to that in a second. But it's basically allowing God to make us into something different, different from what everyone else, different from what we've been molded into from early in life, different from the world that we're exposed to, being transformed. But here's the other great thing about Paul. He knows that's a difficult shift to make. He knows that there are behaviors that are years, sometimes decades in the making, and those are hard to change overnight. So he starts with a simple, not so simple, first step. Be transformed then in your mind. This is seeing things the way God sees them. Seeing your marriage the way God sees your marriage. Seeing education and money and families and your talents and your time, your priorities. Seeing hard work the way God sees those things. Because when we see things the way God sees them, all of a sudden we're far more likely to do what God wants us to do in the midst of those things. Our natural thing is to just say, I'm going to jump into this. I'm, going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to change. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. And, and, and what happens? We're successful for a little while, but it's always short term. right? But here's the thing about behaviors. Behaviors always want to come back around and conform. Behaviors always want to go back to the way they were before. And so instead of just the short-term behavioral changes, you have to change your mindset and make it fit God's mindset. That's how we experience long-term transformation. And so what do I really want? What does God really want? And so instead of things like, I'm going to do more around the house, I think that would make my husband feel better. I think my wife would appreciate that. I'm just going to do more around the house. Instead of that, it's, I want what God wants. God wants me to submit to the needs of my spouse and show my kids what a sacrificial servant looks like. And so instead of, I'm walking out of here, I'm doing A, B, C, one, two, three, and things are going to be different. Now it's, you know what? Sacrificial servant. That's the heart of God. That's the mindset of God. That's what I want to pursue. I'm not going to pursue me, me, me the way the world would. I'm not going to come home grumpy and angry and ready to pursue my thing. This sacrificial servant, the heart and mind of Christ, and let the behaviors pour out of that. Instead of, I want to start saving money, right? Some of us, our budgets are a mess. I'm going to start saving. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Now, there are practical decisions to be made as a result of these things. Right? I'm not telling you to sit around and never change anything, but it's got to flow from the inside out. Instead of, I want to start saving money, now it's God sees the money, and it's his money. It's not my money. It's his money. It should be used the way he would use it. It's like our definition of, pro of wisdom. We, we did a short series um, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I think it's almost been a couple years now. It's pretty wild. But in the midst of that, we defined wisdom for the sake of that series and just for the sake of conversation. And we said, wisdom is a gift from God. 
And it allows us to process natural information. That's that five senses stuff, things you can see and process and calculate and, and observe. allows us to process natural information and act on it with a supernatural perspective in order to experience kingdom outcomes. It's seeing the world. It's seeing life. It's seeing people the way God sees them and then letting the behaviors take shape from there. And so then here's the payoff as we finish verse 2. So don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed, starting in your heart, starting in your mind. And then as a result of that transformation, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we do this, when we engage in this process, all of a sudden, you can know God's will. And that's ultimately the question that, has, that, that this series is about. We've been saying, it, what do you want? What do you really want? What does God want? It's, there's so many moments in our lives where we're like, what does God even want from me? What does he want from me next? Where is he taking me? How is he shaping me? What does he want from me as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a, as a mother, as a brother, as, as a friend, as a, as a sister in Christ? All these different roles and relationships and places we're going and things we're trying to accomplish and experience. So like, what does God even want from me? We can know that. We can discover the answer of that because if we allow him to transform our heart and mind and be renewed separate from the pattern of this world, we can discern what God wants. And all of a sudden, our will grows up a little bit. Our will becomes a little bit more mature. Our will, our lives start bearing the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week. That is what you really want. And it's in this process that we're able to see the world's patterns for what they really are. And it's in this process that we're able to see and understand exactly what God values and what you really value. And you can see and discover what you were really made for. You can see what you really want and what God really wants and what his will is for your life. And the beauty of discovering that those two things really aren't that far apart at their core. What do you want? What do you really want? What's most important to you? What do you value? I'm guessing it's more than money. I'm guessing it's more than vacations. I'm guessing it's more than upgrades and experiences, as good as those things are at times. And we have to explore these things. There's some important questions that we've been exploring because it's in this process that you ultimately come face-to-face with the God of the universe and you come face-to-face with his desires for you. As we close things out, um, I want to give you an opportunity because I know we're, we're all coming from different places and different experiences and different understandings of what church is about and what faith is all about. And, and, and because here's when, when we talk about God's will type stuff and transformations and changing behaviors and starting with the heart, the mind, the, all these things are important, but all of those things have a single starting point. All of those things need to be traced back to a moment in your life when you understand and believe exactly what it means to follow Jesus, when you understand and believe that there is a God who created you and loves you and sees you even in your imperfections and in the midst of your worst sent his son Jesus, God in the flesh, to come and not only show us how it's done, but ultimately lay himself down as a perfect spotless sacrifice to take the punishment for us. Dying and shedding his blood to cover our sins, and then rising again to defeat death and give us eternal life. 
And all we have to do is believe. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If you do me a favor and bow your head and close your eyes this morning, and just so you know, if you're new to church, there, there's nothing magical about closing your eyes. Maybe your parents had you do it when you were a kid. There's nothing uh, mystical about that. It's simply an opportunity to, to just eliminate some of the visual stimulus and, and have a moment to focus on God and what he wants from us in this particular moment. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never had that moment in your life. And, and for some people, it's, a, it's a, something they remember doing. For some people, it's a season of life where they come to faith and understanding. But maybe this morning is the moment where you can say, man, just in your heart, say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he came to earth and died for me. I believe he rose again. And I give you my heart now. I give you my life now. Begin that transformation in me from the inside out. Change me in my heart, in my core. Change my mind. And God, from this day forward, help me to love you and live for you. Amen. I want you to know that's a big deal. Okay? Maybe that was something that you, you have come to that place this morning. Maybe another part in your life. Maybe it's something you're still wrestling with. I want you to know if you have any questions... Any, any confusion about what this all means, would love to chat with you. Whether it's me, I can connect you with someone else who you, who you think is better or, or more fun or nicer or whatever. I, I, I don't care who you talk to. I'll make sure you talk to somebody. We, we just want to help you take some next steps and understand. We can give you some resources to help you start processing this. Um, but it's a big deal, right? Because we can talk about changing behaviors. We can talk about your family and your marriage and your finances and all kinds of other things that God has a lot to say about. But it must begin with a personal relationship with Jesus, knowing who he is, giving him your heart, and pursuing him with your life. It's a big deal. Let me pray for you guys, and we'll get out of here. Father, we love you. Thank you for just another beautiful Sunday morning. Um, thank you for this church family that you continue to grow and bring together and, and shape here in this place. And yet, God, we also recognize that transformation needs to happen outside of these walls as much as within them. And so as you take us throughout our homes throughout our community and our workplaces and our schools in the next week, I pray that you would use us. As you change us, may people see it. As you work in us, may people see it and wonder, God, put us in situations where conversations are happening and questions are being asked and give us um, the words in the moment and the courage in the moment. God, change this community through the individuals in this room. We'll gladly do it. We'll give you all the credit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week.